Do you like American music? We like all kinds of music, but I like American music best, baby. These lyrics are courtesy of the Violent Femmes, and I loved them. We continue our journey into Americana, and music is one way of stirring nostalgia. Between music and a sense of smell, they can both transport you to a time and place from before. Today, we explore the music of Americana, our history, our style, and our memories. Hi, I'm Monica, one of two Monicas and a microphone. And I'm the other Monica. We're here to provide real, relatable entertainment. Monica, I'm super excited about today's episode because I had so much fun researching the history of these songs. And no, we don't actually talk about the Violent Femmes, but I I did love them once upon a time. We're taking you way back because we like to do things in chronological order. And we're going back to Yankee Doodle Dandy. You know, Uh, oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) I thought that was my cue to sing, everyone. (laughs) Hey, you can go for it. (laughs) But I think at the end, when we play Mickey Rooney from Babes on a Broadway, everyone will appreciate that it's Rooney and not Monica. For sure. (laughs) So how did we get here with Yankee Doodle Dandy and why are we talking about it? Well, actually, we got here before we really got here. And what I mean by that is before America was America, the United States of America, this actually became a thing during the French and Indian War. So for those of you who aren't history buffs or have a cheat sheet like me, that was 1754 through 1763. The British used to mock the colonials by singing a version of the song, but in true American fashion, they took ownership and turned the song into one of patriotic pride, especially during the Revolutionary War. And I'm going to share with you the most well-known stanza, and I'm going to sing it. And I'm sorry, everyone. That's the only way I know how to do this. This is like literally one of my favorite songs. Who who sang it best? (laughs) You know, you might want to hit mute for 15 seconds. I don't know. But this was one of my favorite songs from childhood, and I still love singing it because it's so fun. So anyway, here we go. Yankee Doodle came to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni. Yankee Doodle, keep it up. Yankee Doodle, dandy. Mind the music and the step and with the girls be handy. I love it. I mean, those lyrics are so classic. And the fact that we both love singing it, I'm just going to play for our audience the way it should be done as a duo. With Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland from Babes on Broadway. I listened to it twice. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yankee Doodle do or die. A real live nephew of my Uncle Sam. I was born on the 4th of July. I've got a Yankee Doodle sweetheart. She's my Yankee Doodle joy. How cute Yankee is he? Doodle came to London just to ride the pony. Say, I am a Yankee Doodle boy. Wish everyone could see his moves. Oh my God, they're so good. I want to get Logan a suit like that. And she's gorgeous. And that dress is just awesome. Wonder what color it really was. I know, right? I imagine gold, just because I like that color. 
Oh my gosh. I love that. I I did really watch it several times. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. But it turns out that the whole song, as Monica mentioned before, was written and sung by the English to show how lowly they thought the colonialists were. But let's talk about the language of the song, because I just thought doodles were doodles, ponies were ponies, macaroni was macaroni growing up. I don't know about you, Monica. Yeah, I was always like, he stuck macaroni in his hair. Like, I could not figure out why he would do that. I did kind of thought it was to thumb his nose at someone, but I couldn't figure out who he was thumbing his nose as as a child. Right. Well, digging a little deeper, I found from our source that Yankee was a general term of contempt. No surprise there. Doodle refers to a lowly provincial person. And because he was riding a pony rather than a full-fledged horse, that was also derogatory because he was riding a pony, not a horse. Right. So a dandy is also supposed to be a meticulously well-dressed man in the 1700s. The macaroni... That was an English dandy who affected foreign fashions and mannerisms. So this Yankee puts a feather in his cap and calls it macaroni because he was trying to affect that he was adopting foreign fashions. (laughs) Yeah, no, this makes total sense now. So this hillbilly was putting on a ball cap and then saying that I'm going to affect Europe with my cool fashion. Basically, if we wanted to look at it today. Basically. So they didn't think much of us, the English, but we knew that already. And the joke is on them because New England colonists turned the song into their rallying theme song during the Revolutionary War. And they sang it proudly in the battles against the British. And with extra exuberance, when Lord Cornwallis surrendered to George Washington at Yorktown in 1781. I don't know about you, but I kind of get teary eyed talking about this. I don't necessarily get teary eyed, but I get extremely patriotic. And I also like thinking that we were the ultimate original trolls. And also this is where (laughs) trash talking came from. I don't know. Maybe we invented trash talking. Not sure. But the fact that they sang it proudly, this is the roots of America. We don't care if you make fun of us. We're independent people, but we can come together and be excited about our independence and individuality. I have to interject here and just let you know that, yes, I did say Yankee Doodle Dandy was a song that the Americans took over and then shoved in the face of the English, but Yankee Doodle Boy is a totally different song with a lot of similarities performed by Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. We move from Yankee Doodle Dandy to what we now call the Star Spangled Banner. And here I'm going to play what is my favorite rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, 
you know who I remember singing the Star Spangled Banner? Who? What's her name? (laughs) Oh, it's not Rosie O'Donnell. It's uh, Uh, no, no. I know. Uh, (laughs) No, it's it's the other one, Roseanne. Roseanne. Okay. Well, the Star Spangled Banner makes me cry, even if I hear a band play it at a football game. I don't know what it is about it, but that version from Whitney was a piece of art and she sang it so effortlessly. Did you notice that the way she moved her body? You could tell it was easy for her. It was easy. And I feel like it came from her heart. As we all know, I'm not a history major and I had to really look into the whole history to give you all a brief history of the writing of the Star Spangled Banner. So this is what I found. And these are Monica's cliff notes. The British were still coming for us on September 13th, 1814. Washington, D.C. had already burned a month before. And an order for a British naval ship to commence firing at Fort McHenry I have no idea where that is now. And it was actually the last line of defense for Baltimore. So if that fort fell, then Baltimore would be captured. DC was already done and the British could claim victory for the entire war. So what you're saying is not only do we Americans sing Yankee Doodle in defiance, but also the Star Spangled Banner because we were holding Baltimore. That's exactly right. Francis Scott Key, for anyone who doesn't know, is the author of The Star-Spangled Banner, and he wrote it as a poem. He wasn't a musician. He was also a lawyer, and at the time, he was trapped with the British on a ship trying to negotiate for a prisoner of war. So they could see it on the other end of the harbor, but he wasn't allowed to leave. And this all happened on September 12th. We were talking about September 13th. Now we're talking about the 12th. For 24 hours, he had to watch the attack as it continued on Fort McHenry. And I think we know how it ended. You know, it wasn't until 1931 that it was officially adopted as the national anthem, but people had been singing it for years and years and years before. I did not know that, which is shocking to me because I feel like I know everything that there is to know about little pieces of patriotic facts. (laughs) And that's crazy. Yeah. So while it was widely used starting in the late 1880s, it wasn't actually adopted until 1931. I'm going Mm -hmm. to quote my source directly because I think this sums up the origin, history, and intent of the Star-Spangled Banner. So here goes. Francis Scott Key wrote the Star-Spangled Banner as a joyous poem after he was relieved that the United States had persevered against British attack. This anthem is meant to bring Americans together to remember the United States' perseverance in the face of adversity and as a stage that Americans can use to protest unjust policies. I love that. And, you know, it kind of harkens back to our recent episode on American legends and how we talked about, you know, the American spirit and perseverance being part of that spirit. Absolutely. And I just it's basically why the colonists fled Britain. Yeah, they did. It it attracted people of a different type. And yeah, they're lowly hillbillies of the colonial period, but they went with it. Well, as much as I love the 
ancient American history, as I will call it, even though it's not that old. I really, really love the early ballads that I think define the American spirit. Which one of those do you have in mind? What is one of your favorites? Well, one of them just came about because I was watching the series 1883 Mm. and it's Beautiful Dreamer. Oh, wow. That is a beautiful one. I had not really been familiar with it till you told me to go look it up a few weeks ago. Beautiful dreamer, wake unto me. Starlight and dewdrops are waiting for thee. Sounds of the rude world heard in the day. Lulled by the moonlight have all passed away beautiful dreamer queen of my song list while i woo thee with soft melody gone are the cares of life's busy throng beautiful dreamer Awaken to me, beautiful dreamer, out on the sea, mermaids are chanting the wild laurelie, over the streamlet, vapors are born, waiting to fade at the bright coming morn beautiful dreamer beam on my heart e'en as the morn on the streamlet and sea then will our clouds of sorrow depart beautiful dreamer Awaken to me, beautiful dreamer, awaken to me. Let's dive in to the history of Beautiful Dreamer, because it is truly the melding of traditions and cultures and making something fantastic. It was written by Stephen Foster. He could be considered the first truly American songwriter. He took the song traditions of Europe and merged them with the rhythm and sophistication of African-American spirituals and folk songs. Monica, I've heard the name Stephen Foster, but what are some of the songs that we might be familiar with, but didn't really know were written by him? I didn't even know the name, but I knew the tune. He wrote other songs like Camp Town Races and Susanna. Exactly. And Oh Susanna. And he wrote many more. I just, those are the two that resonated with me most. Isn't it remarkable when you find out that one man, much like we did with the American legends and Uncle Sam, like has to do with all of these things that you didn't know that are in your subconscious? Like one man creates these things and they live there. They live in the subconscious of America for hundreds of years now. And if anyone thinks that in the 20th century, those were the first people to be taken advantage of by the music industry, wrong. 
he died with 38 cents to his name. That's unfortunate. It is unfortunate, but we have his great song. So Foster drew on cross-batching of traditions and first joined into a single stream of American music. Oh, wait, hold on. What is cross-batching, Monica? I, I actually haven't heard of this term. Can you explain it a little bit? Well, think of it as taking something from one culture and something from another culture and weaving them together. Ooh, that sounds really, really cool, actually, and kind of American. I mean, isn't that how we got most of our traditions? (laughs) Right, right. If you think of it, he started American music nearly 150 years ago. And I think it's a really important point because if it weren't for this cross-thatching of cultures, America wouldn't be what it is now. And I see that here in one of your notes, there's what's considered uniquely American, and now it's not. Well, we can leave that for our audience to decide. So this is the part that makes this American series so amazing every year. We talk regularly about nostalgia and the first one to bring that home to America and use it to his advantage is Foster. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to share a quote from our source that just sums it up beautifully. His deceptively simple melodies and rich cultural histories full of merging rhythms from different continents make them a good deal more than that. Not only the first true American songs, but also among the best. Their amazing longevity proves the point because in pop music, nothing survives without utility. Oh, and I can't wait to get into pop music. Me too, but I bet we have some more ballads. I would have to think we have some more ballads, don't we, we, Monica? The next one, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. And I don't know why, but at times this song just pops into my head and it's like that earworm. Swing low, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming Monica, why don't you take this one? Because yes, I just, I did just play the clip by Etta James and I love her voice and I love her style, her history also. I do too, but it doesn't trump when my dad used to sing it. That's all I'm going to say. This song is thought to have originally been created by a freed black slave, Wallace Willis, of what is now Choctaw County, Oklahoma. It's also thought that the song was inspired by the sight of the Red River that runs through several southern states in the U.S. as it was supposedly likened to the Jordan River and the prophet Elijah, who was taken up to heaven by a chariot. I mean, this is such a marked note of original songs and now ballads, the recognition of God and spiritualism. I think it's wonderful. Me too. And it has a soul to it. The song has a soul. I don't know how else to describe it. It really does. And I know that the 
actual history and composition of the song is probably more complicated than being inspired by the ascension of Elijah. But I also know that it has links to the Underground Railroad movement and the work that free people were trying to help enslaved people become free. And so one of the meanings that can be derived from the song is that a slave wishing to be set free and brought up to heaven, which Mm. is painful. Mm -hmm. There were also people working to help free them. And so I think this is another powerful note since it draws people together and a community helping to right a wrong. Yes, it is a gorgeous sentiment to that. Here's an interesting question. Can you think of a country that would ban the song? Well, I know it wouldn't be America because we don't ban things here. So who would ban the song? Good grief. Well, I'm just going to guess maybe a country who doesn't share Christianity as a religion, perhaps. Possibly, but you know, many countries don't. So I was very intrigued when I saw that in 1939, Swing Low Sweet Chariot was banned by Nazi Germany. Gee, shocker. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but it's really not a shock. It was put on a list of undesired or harmful music works. Well, yeah, you got to be careful because words and information and free spirit, that can be harmful stuff. Tongue in cheek sarcasm over here, people. (laughs) Yep. We can insert the uh, sarcasm emoji anytime. (laughs) Are there any other countries that adopted it instead of banning it? Okay. So there's a funny story about that. Apparently, this song has links to English rugby. Seems random to me. I'm sorry dating back to the 1960s when fans began singing it at matches. I don't know that we got quite down the rabbit hole to understand why, other than it's a really great song, of course, and I bet it sounds cool to sing together, um, which is actually the way it was sung originally. Anyway, I digress. Okay. (laughs) But it's been one of the signature chants at England games since the late 1980s. And has links to both the player Martin Ophaya, as it can be a play on words with the film Chariots of Fire and England's famous 35-3 Five Nations win over Ireland in 1988. Now, for me personally, I've talked way too much about not America to kind of put me <laughs> in a bad mood here. So you can read more <laughs> at History and Origins of Swing Low Sweet Chariot and why the Rugby Federation Union was reviewing the famed rugby song. (laughs) It's far too much not America to get into right now because we have more. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. How did you know that was next? Well, I don't know. It just felt like it should be. (laughs) (laughs) It is next. And who doesn't love She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain? I remember singing it in grade school. I love the idea of riding seven white horses. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Please do not tell me that's like a metaphor for something weird. (laughs) Oh, dear God. I hope not. I did not find any of that in my research. You just don't you hate it when your childhood's ruined. What? (laughs) (laughs) That's not the point of this. According to our source, we can only assume it was written during the latter periods of the 1800s. And like so much of America's founding, it was a blend of new and old songs from descendants. When the chariot comes, a classic African-American spiritual. And then both tracks had a similar melody. So the first publication of the song dates back to 1899. Very interesting that this comes from when the chariot comes and then we just did Swing Low, Sweet Chariots. So I really do think there's something to that Elijah story. I do too. I do too. And I think it's fantastic that people just were totally comfortable blending new and old. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So most spiritual songs of the African-American community, She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain, is considered to be a coded hymn of the workers associated with the Underground Railroad system. In the 1890s, the railroad workers of the Midwestern states in the U.S. also adapted this classic, and we do talk a little bit about them in American Legends. And the she in the song is widely regarded to be a reference to a train coming up the tracks, as there is no official clarification regarding it. Well, that does break my heart because I always thought that she was like this really cool woman that they were all excited to see. Not going to lie. <laughs> They're always. No, to- I totally get it. I'm just yeah, saying I, I always imagine like thought it was this a- Annie Oakley type like, right. yeah, Yeah, because we don't know. And it's up to interpretation because it's art. While we move on, we have more ballads and more folk songs. So the next one is My Country, Tis of Thee. And Samuel Francis Smith, at the age of 24, was thrilled as he heard a children's choir at Park Street Church in Boston for the first time in public sing a song he had written months earlier. It's so cute. They presented it on July 4th, 1832. All right, friends, we come now to one of America's greatest musical artists. But I really didn't know anything about the history behind the song. I didn't either. I haven't thought about the history of any of these songs, to be quite honest with you, until we did this episode. Right? (laughs) Yeah. So the author of America the Beautiful was actually a young English teacher, and her name was Catherine Lee Bates. And it's not Kathy Bates from Misery. It's Catherine Lee Bates. And it wasn't actually a song. It was a poem. I just got that. (laughs) So the second time I told it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm trying to make it new and fresh. Oh, okay. So she wrote this in response to a sightseeing trip at Pikes Peak in Colorado in 1893. And she still remembered how awestruck she was with that area of our country. And I have to say that me and Catherine Lee are like soul sisters, because if you go back to best vacation spots, I think I spend like 30 minutes, not really, but it feels like it yes, talking you do. about that, <laughs> talking about that area of Colorado. So I get it. I get it, Catherine. <laughs> 
Back then, she wrote a poem that has been embraced by the people of America to this day. And she includes a stirring exhortation that all Americans should recognize the grace of God extended to our people and the dramatic developments that shaped this country. I think those are really powerful statements. I mean, the fact that it was an English teacher struck by the awe of something in America, and then she wrote a poem, and now it's embraced as one of the most beloved American pieces of music. Mm -hmm. Do we know when it was actually set to music? Because like the Star Spangled Banner, that started as a poem. Yeah. So interestingly, before the football games, the marching band actually plays America the Beautiful. So it's kind of crazy that it started out as a poem, but one of the ways that we experience it is through music. Do we know who set it to music? Yeah, we do. Now, it wasn't Catherine Lee. It was Samuel Augustus Ward. And I think this is really, really cool. And very, very Americana. So he wrote the tune in his head, which is extremely remarkable. But he did it while on a ferry boat trip from Coney Island back to his home in New York City. So I think it's incredibly amazing that this musician discovers Catherine Lee's poem and then in 1882 writes it as a song. And people probably wouldn't have known about it truly in the way that we do if it wasn't set to music. No, they, they wouldn't. I mean, I don't read poetry anymore. Th- those were days long gone for me <laughs> when I had time, when I had time. But I think the fact that he wrote it on a ferry boat. I love that. I love oh, it. That is so priceless. Now, Monica, something we're getting ready to get into, I thought was kind of hilarious in that there was a folk song battle. Um, Or that's what I named it because that's what happened. Well, yeah, but why did it happen? Well, it happened between two songs and everyone is going to be shocked. Now, I will have to say this about the song. I think the person who wrote the first song didn't intend to be in a battle. (laughs) (laughs) That would be God bless America. We'll go ahead and play that for everyone who doesn't remember it. We now take a moment to sing God Bless America. We are led tonight by retired Navy Petty Officer, First Class, Janerald Wilson. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light. From above, from the mountains, to the prairies, to the oceans, white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home. Well, let's transition to this land is your land, and we're about to go on a tiny wormhole of scandalousness. 
So Monica, let's begin where it's not surely the first or last scandalous piece of music, but very interesting for many reasons. All right. So this was written by Woody Guthrie. And I think it's kind of interesting because we're getting into the first person who wrote it and we get to listen to him sing it. So here we go. This land is your land, and this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Monica, that's just a great song. It's one of my all-time favorites. So I was extremely disappointed when we got into the history of it. Extremely. Um, me too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Friends, yeah. you might feel the same way after <laughs> learning all of these new facts. Yes. Not so facts, new facts. No, new facts. Yeah. So most Americans know this classic folk song, This Land is Your Land. But most of us do not know that it was an anti-Christian pro communist motivation behind its creation. Oh my God, it breaks that, my heart. And it was just really a way for Guthrie to kind of get out his Marxist politics. So it was written in 1940 as a direct response to Irving Berlin's God bless America. Which and Guthrie- I think that is actually blasphemy. Okay. Irving Berlin is an American icon and amazing. Well, it is. And so it makes sense. It makes sense because Guthrie was a communist um, openly. It's not making this up. In fact, he was actually named after Woodrow Wilson. So he's not named Woody Guthrie on his birth certificate. He's Woodrow Wilson Guthrie because his parents really, really loved the socialist movement that Woodrow Wilson had going on. Anyway, many people in his administration were very open about it. It's not like this is some sort of secret. It's just nobody really digs into history. That's probably why we don't think about it. So Woodrow Wilson, first original progressive, as he described himself. Yeah, I've certainly um, taken that in no direction. <laughs> now, Guthrie, as far as it goes to God Bless America, like he hated the song and he criticized it as being nationalistic and against the spirit of socialism, which I would just tell him to get on a boat and go right on across over and find some socialists and communists, which he did. He loved Stalin. So if anyone, that's so crazy. <laughs> One of the I most mean, a lot of people threaten to leave, but no one actually does. Yeah, no, no, no. So it's just so crazy that this like ultra communist made a song that is, I think he's going to roll in his grave right now when I say this, but I think that we do interpret that song as nationalistic today, right? I think that's why we love it uh, because it's patriotic, right? Not because we're, I'm certainly never sung it in the spirit of socialism. I'm just going to say that right now. (laughs) No, And as we were doing the research, I think the best part is that uh, while he was attacking President Roosevelt and capitalism, Guthrie cheered Joseph Stalin loud and long, defending the ever Hitler-Stalin pact of 1939. But it sounds to me like it's more like Yankee Doodle because we took a negative and turned it to a positive. Yeah. And the grand tradition, the spirit of being rebellious and thumbing our nose at those who don't like us. Monica here. I need to interject and explain to you what the other Monica meant by the battle, because we did have to re-record some of this. 
By battle, she meant God bless America versus this land is your land. And as we know now, it was Woody Guthrie who did not like the song God Bless America. And that's why he wrote This Land is Your Land. I think we have finally entered what is probably my favorite part of American music, which is Mm -hmm. pop music. Bye, bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Listen to it from the original songwriter, Don McLean, which you'll probably enjoy a little bit more. Yes. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance, That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love and Oh my gosh, Monica, as we're listening to this, I just have flashbacks of going out with Kai Megas and dancing on tables. Oh, really? I don't at all associate it with that. I associate it with my dad, truly, truly with my dad. So I- It wasn't really a song I had ever heard until college. You know, the seniors would have their last fling at wherever it was and we'd play the song and everyone got on the tables. Hold on, Monica. I want to see something really quick about this song. Do we know when he wrote this? 1971. Okay. Thank you. Thank you to the internet, I guess. I don't know, which is probably another reason why I love it so much because I just love so much of the seventies music. I do want to share straight from Don McLean. 
in an interview where he was sharing with someone about the concept of American pie. And this is what he said, quote, but it was way more than rock and roll. It was about an America that was coming apart at the seams. I was trying to create this American song, but not like this land is your land or America the beautiful. I want to connect with the parts of America that matter to me, starting with Buddy Holly. Buddy didn't matter to anybody when I wrote this song, I have to tell you, end quote. I find that remarkable because even you and I have a favorite song, Buddy Holly by Weezer. Buddy Holly by Weezer. I love, I love that song by Weezer. I love Weezer. I think it's amazing that Don McLean brought up Buddy Holly. And I know this episode feels like it's long, but we have to keep going. Other than knowing that Buddy Holly was killed in an airplane crash with Richie Valens, I didn't realize his importance to American music until doing the research. And then he did so many other songs. I mean, he wrote Peggy Sue. If you knew Peggy Sue, then you know why I feel blue without Peggy. My Peggy Sue. And that'll be the day. Yeah. And at the time, I wasn't concerned who the artist was when I was listening to those out in the front yard, backyard. My mom was playing them. But I have a quote from our source who says, Buddy Holly was an American singer songwriter who produced some of the most distinctive and influential work in rock music. And he was already versed in several musical styles. and was a seasoned performer by the time he was 16. But then he died at 22. That's not in the quote. It's crazy that he could have such an influence on the music industry and he passed away at 22. I mean, we're talking eight years years. and he was performing. I don't know how long he was actually recording. You know what I mean? And that's probably why it's so tragic. He was probably on the rise. Oh, he was definitely on the rise. That's why he was on tour with Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. They were all making it together and they were on tour together. Hearing about Buddy Holly brings me memories of Richie Valens. He really impacted me. His life impacted me as a kid because my family listened to him and his music and they had a connection with him while he was alive. Yeah. And why was he special to you in your well, family? It's, it's because he he was Hispanic and he was making a break for it and he was living the American dream. Mm-hmm. You That's know? really cool. He was super special in my heart and his life was also very short lived because he was just getting started. And it's considered the day the music died. I mean, it kind of did, didn't it? We've got three yeah. super talented artists just dead in an airplane. I need to insert another editorial comment here because as I was researching for this episode, I came across a recent article interviewing Don McLean. He was on tour with the Everly Brothers in 1969, and he recalls asking them what happened to Buddy Holly. Can you tell me what happened, he says. Well, Phil Everly remembers just what happened. Buddy Holly needed to do laundry. 
Yes, laundry. He needed time between landing at his next location before his next gig to do laundry. I know from the movie La Bamba that Richie Valens had a cold and didn't want to ride on a bus with no heater for five hours. But no, Buddy Holly had to do laundry and he was even nice enough to take everyone else's dirty laundry with him. So that is the true story behind the day the music died. If you want a link to this article, we will have it in our show notes. I love this whole era of music in American music, including our next musician. We don't get the next generation of music until we come to the king of rock and roll, who would have performed with Richie Valens. I have no doubt. Oh, for sure. Oh, it would have been epic, Monica. We are talking about the one, the only. He has left the building, everybody. (laughs) We are talking about Elvis. Presley. He is one of rock music's dominant performers from the mid-1950s, but his legacy lives on. And you know what? He died at age 43. And I remember when I was young thinking that was like ancient. So when I was out (laughs) and I was like, wait, Elvis died when? Oh, no. (laughs) Like any minute now, any minute. Yeah, any minute now. Yeah. So If we think about Elvis, like, yes, obviously his music is quintessential, but also his story is much like you were sharing with Richie Valens. And that is that he lived the American dream. So he grew up dirt poor. Being dirt poor isn't necessarily the American dream, right? But it's the chance to make your own way, to pave your own path, become your own man and have no one tell you what route you're going to take to do that. And that's what he did. He's also the reason why people think you can just make audition tapes and send them out to record labels. That was the thing that really sparked my intrigue in his story is that his family moved to Memphis and he sent out audition tape and he was discovered by Sam Phillips at Sun Record. All of a sudden, there he is, famous musician. Well, I don't want to drag this on too long, but we do need to highlight some of his most famous songs, at least in my opinion, because I put this all together. Okay, (laughs) start us off. All right, we've got Hound Dog, Blue Moon, Heartbreak Hotel, Blue Suede Shoes, I Own a Pair, just so you know, Blue Christmas, which is my all-time favorite Christmas song next to White Christmas. It's a tie. (laughs) It's a tie. And to round us off here, we have Can't Help Falling in Love, which is a beautiful song, and I love to hear him sing it. It's a great song. One of the things we haven't mentioned about Elvis is that he actually served as a soldier in the U.S. Army. I know I've seen the movie of him in a uniform with a guitar, entertaining troops and whatnot, but he actually chose not to be in the entertainment division of special Mm -hmm. services. He really wanted to be a soldier right along with everyone else. I think he personally felt that honoring his country and serving right along with everyone as a, let's say, regular person was important to him. And I think it's very touching moving. I do too. I do too. And I think it just gives more reason why we would include him here on the American music. And did you know, a lot of people thought that once he went off to war, once he started serving, he would just disappear from the headlines and the music industry is because they didn't think he had any music, but he front loaded everything. He had so much pre-recorded music that the record industry just kept releasing and releasing and releasing. And he stayed in the headlines. Well, he was smart because we all talk about front loading now, but that, <laughs> I swear it's not something people knew about before 2016. Right. I think he was really smart yes. and maybe it wasn't foresight. Maybe he just had passion and was like, I'm going to record as long as I can. 
He only recorded twice while he was still serving and he did only serve two years, but you know, no amount of time is too short because you're serving for your country. Absolutely. I agree with that. We've done a deep dive into music that defines America, but we have just two more to go and we're going to call them honorable mentions. Yes. So my honorable mention is God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. And this song makes me cry every single time. And I also have to stand up when he says it. So where do you stand up, Monica? One time there's (laughs) like a Waffle House story where I stood up on the stool and now my friends will forever, even though it's been like 18 years, they will request that I do that if we hear this song. <laughs> oh my God. That's too funny. Oh, it is such a good song. And so it does. Catchy. It makes me get teary eyed all over mm-hmm. again. My honorable mention will probably not make anyone teary eyed, but it is still fantastic. Here is Lenny Kravitz remake of American Woman. Monica, don't you love the irony of the British spy and the American yeah, woman? <laughs> I do. I do. I think it's hilarious and just kind of goes back with the theme of some things that we've been talking about. Well, friends, we do hope that you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have. And you have no idea how many times we've recorded it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Always hit the red record button. Good Lord. When will I learn? Please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and write a review. The most important is sharing with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at Two Monica's Podcast. And don't forget, you can look up our website to find previous episodes anytime you want. TwoMonicasPodcast.com. Until next time, have a great American weekend. Bye. Today's episode is part of Nothing Serious Productions. Sound effects provided by Zapsplat and Mixkit.co. For all other details, please see our show notes at twomonicaspodcast.com. 